Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Desi's going to thank our Patreon subscribers. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And they got access to all of the bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, dis- our Discord link. Yeah. Where you can talk to us. They're in the secret club. <laughs> <laughs> it's very um, exciting stuff over there. Uh, yes. So we're still we're still going in the past because we're we got a lot to catch up on. But let's start up. Bailey. Thank you, Yancey. Thank you, Jagger, Ari, Corey, Veronica, Jonathan, Elise, Marissa, Tiffany, Harriet, Teresa, Amy, Jennifer, Maria, Sabrina, Nicole, Karen, Asha, Mary, Lauren, Catherine, Jessica, Carrie, Timothy, Jaslyn, Allison, Chrissy, Anthony, Hannah, Blissarito, Leslie, Sophie, Danielle, Sherilyn, Constance, Raven, Jay Dominguez, Lucy, Heather, Fire Tiger, Rabbit Run, Spencer, <laughs> Kendall, Felix, Erica, Kathleen, Matea, Fiona, Jessica, Lauren, Christine, and that's where I'll stop today. Thank you, Desi. Thanks, and thank guys. you all. Desi, this is our final movie versus reality for movie versus reality May, something we came at- up with mid month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we came up with it a couple weeks ago. Not even. And this will be a two parter because there's a lot to get to. This well, is going to go into June. So sorry. <laughs> or maybe you like this story. So yeah. you'll be excited. Oh, yeah. We are talking about the 1993 movie Tombstone. Oh, like the pizza? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about the pizza on our mini episode this week. Okay. Because there's information about the pizza. Oh, interesting. But I'm glad that you went there first. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally the first thing I think of when I hear Tombstone. Me too. Because I was never like a big fan of the movie growing up, even though it's a very popular movie. Yeah, it was so big. And like... Straight men love quoting Tombstone. Like men, straight men of a certain age, like yes, they're always like, "I'm your Huckleberry." <laughs> they fucking love that line. It's true. Um, anyway, Tombstone is a star-studded movie. It stars Desi's favorite man, Sam Elliott. Yes, he's got to be in every western. Yeah, it's like the law. It- <laughs> <laughs> It stars Kurt Russell, who's very hot. 
Yeah. It stars a very sickly and hot looking Val Kilmer. The best. He's so hot in this movie. Um, even though he's like he's literally hot. He has a fever. <laughs> <laughs> he has like a total fever. It stars uh Bill Paxton's in it. And Ooh. it's narrated by other hot guy, Robert Mitchum. Damn, this is a hot movie. It's a hot cast. Remember the one that was like... Young Guns. Yeah, Young Guns. <laughs> it was like the Tombstone with all the younger ca- ac- actors. Yeah, Young Guns <laughs> came out before Tombstone a few years before, and it was Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen... Lou Diamond Phillips? Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, there was someone else And the fourth in it. guy. <laughs> and there was another guy in it, but that was about Billy the Kid. Yeah, that was like... That time period, there was a lot of nouveau westerns coming out. Yeah. They were trying to revamp the genre. Yeah. What was the other one with Patrick Swayze? Oh, my God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, but it was I can't remember. Also in the early 90s. Oh, fuck. I can't remember. But yeah, there was like... Westerns were hot. They were. Dr. Quinn Medicine Women, Woman. <laughs> Yeah, that was so a, hot was a show. very hot show. That was on for like 20 years or something. That's like one of those shows that was just on forever. Yeah. It seemed. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw a single episode. I have. You have? I have. But oh. it was like a You're Homesick and it's on. That was when you just had to watch what was ever on TV. Yeah. I was like, okay, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Anyway, Tombstone. Tombstone is a big undertaking. We are not going to get completely into each and every character's life story because that would take like, we'd have to turn the podcast into the Wild West show. Yeah. And it's just impossible. But I do want to give you guys some history. I think in the future, it might be fun to do a wild, uh, wild, a a Wyatt Earp episode. Yeah. Or a Doc Holiday episode or any one of these people could really be their own episodes. Now, my main source for this story is a book called The Last Gunfight, The Real Story of the Shootout at the, at the OK Corral, and it's by Jeff Gwynn. Okay. This is a very interesting book. goes into a lot of history about why people were traveling out west back yeah. in the day. We're not going to get into everything, but we're going to give you guys a little bit of context. Okay. Let's begin. It was December 1879 when the Earp brothers rolled into Tombstone, Arizona. 36-year-old Virgil Earp had just been appointed deputy marshal. With him was his wife, Allie. 31-year-old brother Wyatt Earp had resigned from his job as assistant marshal in Wichita, Kansas, and sought a new life out west. Accompanying him was his common-law wife, Maddie. James Earp, the eldest of the three, was also a lawman just like his brothers. This is a family of cops. Okay. He was accompanied by his wife, Bessie. The Earp brothers were hoping to strike it rich in the latest boomtown of the American Southwest. When they arrived, they, they were among the 900 residents living there. Tombstone had been founded earlier that year when af- after silver was discovered. Silver! Because <laughs> they found the gold in California. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, there's silver in them dar hills. Yeah. You got to get all the metals. They got to get all the metals. 
People are silver crazy right now. More than Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not just talking colloidal silver that turns your skin blue. Yeah. We're talking silver. Real silver. Real shiny silver. So Tombstone had been founded earlier that year. By this time, the northern area of Arizona Territory had already been descended upon by the prospectors. And Tombstone, which lies in the southeastern corner, was the final frontier for these white settlers looking to mine the earth for these precious metals. Yeah. While Tombstone began as a town of tents, soon permanent housing, saloons, restaurants, and churches were erected as more people poured into the area. The demand for beef was high. Beef. (laughs) As I was writing this, I'm like, I'm getting so much historical context for that commercial. Yeah. And Sam Elliott's the narrator. That's what I mean. He's always there. Beef is a Western pastime. Absolutely. You got to brand those cows. People were so hungry for beef. Yeah. And so they needed cows. Farmers like the Clantons and the McLaurys both found their cattle ranches to be profitable with all the beef-hungry new residents. The Clantons and the McLaurys, like so many other settlers, saw the West as the ultimate place to reinvent themselves, whether they were looking to start over after scrapes with the law or otherwise. At this time, Arizona was still a U.S. territory. It would be the last of the contiguous... Is it contiguous? Contiguous. I don't know. Of the connected United States. Right. Like not Hawaii and Alaska. Yeah. (laughs) For some reason, I feel like it's right, but it also doesn't sound right the minute you brought up a doubt. Do you know what I mean? Like content, because it's not continuous. It's something I read a lot. Yeah. Well, uh, I've read, but I don't say it out loud. No, I think you're right. But it was the last one. Okay. Press for Tombstone was great. The Tucson star remarked on the, aco- on the accommodating saloon keepers and the neatness of the restaurants, which were, quote, supplied bounteously with the choicest meats and other such dainties as the market affords. Mm. As, dep- as Deputy Marshal, Virgil Earp would be working alongside the town's 31-year-old U.S. Marshal, Fred White. Fred had no previous law enforcement experience. This is a very new town. They're like, yeah. we need a U.S. Marshal. Okay, Fred, you're on the job. <laughs> he was a carpenter. Oh. He was probably like, you know, Jesus was also <laughs> yeah. once a carpenter. Why uh, can't I be a cop? Yeah. James Earp found work at a saloon. He's like, I don't. You guys go be cops. Yeah. I'm about giving booze to people. I'm here to chill. Yeah. And Wyatt looked to abandon his career as a lawman in search of something bigger and better. But in the meantime, he hit up the saloons for some gambling, an activity he had a lot of experience with. Mm. Now, these guys love to gamble. Yeah. A lot of these guys were really, um, like, they just gambled all the time. And then people, that's how you would get shot, too. Right. <laughs> you were, like, hiding a card. Yeah, you get busted cheating. Or you look at someone funny. Yeah, you get shot under the table. Mm. We know how it works. I saw Deadwood. (laughs) (laughs) The following year, the newly established railroad line saw an increase in goods to the town. Tombstone's residents could now enjoy fresh fish. Ooh. And even ice cream. Ooh. You know, that was new. Yeah. 
and all these ta- all these restaurants were popping up in Tombstone, and they were like fancy restaurants. Yeah, because this was like looking to be like we're not only a mining community, but we're going to be fancy also. We got prime cut beef, mm. <laughs> but not all was glamorous, even for the wealthier residents. As dogs and horses and mules shat in the streets with abandon. <sighs> they didn't figure out their sanitation system that well. They always seem like they wait on that, but for me, that would be first. That's number one, is, <laughs> is hygiene. Yeah, figuring out where everyone's going to shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's, That's should, not going to be a free-for-all. That should be number one. Absolutely. Also, back then, people were shitting a lot. Oh. Think about what they ate, Desi. Yeah. They, they were eating a lot of beans and they were mm. drinking a lot of coffee. Yes. Coffee was like the most popular beverage at this time. Like you got to put that shit far away. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> even even if you didn't know about diseases and all of that, it stinks. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it seems like... It seems like that just is like a normal human instinct to want to get that away from you. Yeah. Like even animals don't right, they shit bury they, it. Yeah. So it's like, come on. Um, yeah. Coffee, beans, beef. Prob- beef, probably spicy food for the first time for a lot of these white people. <laughs> it's the first time they had <laughs> spicy food. They were diarying all down the dirt road. <laughs> Right in front of the saloon. You just picture a prospector like, oh, Jesus Christ. Come on, Muriel. (laughs) (laughs) That's how people got shot too, shitting in the wrong place. Mm. So garbage was seldom picked up. Like I said, they're, they're having some growing pains with this sanitation, thus bringing the rat infestation to the town. So soon cats became prize companions of the townspeople. Oh. That's a nice plus yeah. side. The cats are probably like, fuck, we got to deal with this? Like, <laughs> thanks. You know what I mean? She put all the hard work on us while you guys are shitting everywhere. <laughs> we got <laughs> to catch all the rats. Yeah. Come on. It would be a lot easier if you stopped fucking diarrheaing everywhere. At least you could let us into the restaurants. We can get, get a cup of beef. <laughs> beef cup stew. Of beef. <laughs> <laughs> they used to sell beef by the cup. Yeah. <laughs> Another problem in town was diarrhea. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Diarrhea was a big problem because water was obviously a precious resource in Mm. Arizona Mm. at this time. They're in the desert. And they're just shitting in the creek probably. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Gross. Someone's like downstream panning for for silver or gold. Yeah. And they're like, I'm just going to take a little shit real quick. (laughs) Like right in the creek. Then you see downstream someone putting a bucket in for water. I mean, that, <laughs> it's just like no wonder. Uh, so water, barrels of water were brought in on wagons and they cost the residents three cents a gallon. Wow. Look, I don't know how much that cost, but it, it could have probably was a lot. I bet you water was like a luxury. It was a luxury. So you could either purchase this water by the gallon that came in on the wagons, or you could take your chances in the creek. Go get the shit creek water. That's free. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll pay the price. That's where they came up with the term shit's creek. Oh. <laughs> I, made, I made that up. That's true. But I think it's true. I mean, people were wilding out 
in the Wild West with their shit and like not even caring about dysentery, no. E. coli, whatever. Because they didn't know about that stuff. No, but you got to be like, I don't want to drink shit water. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like Gross. how how did they not have a plan? I would have been like on shit duty. I would have been the sheriff of shit. I would have been <laughs> making sure everyone, like that would have been my job. I would have been like, come on guys. Let's get it together. I'm the sheriff of shit. You would get fined if we caught you bare-assed in the creek shit. <laughs> Come on, guys. Bring a bucket with you. It's a slop bucket. You shit in it. So <laughs> none of these struggles, however, stop the people of Tombstone from continuing to build the hottest new city in the American Southwest with the sickest saloons and restaurants. Okay. They're really promoting this as like... This is Vegas. Yeah. Like we got sick bars. Saloons. With hot girls. Doing the can-can. Doing. (laughs) (laughs) We got poker games. Yeah. Beef. And now ice cream. I mean, ice cream. Get ready to shit your pants (laughs) out in Tombstone. You'll have the best shitting time of your life in Tombstone. It's a real rootin' tootin' time. (laughs) Those are the failed... Uh, marketing, tourism marketing campaigns. (laughs) (laughs) Shit your brains out in Tombstone. (laughs) By the summer, the Cosmopolitan Hotel lived up to its name. Its accommodations catered to clientele who enjoyed the finer things in life. And by July, Tombstone had erected telephone lines. Wow. Wells Fargo set up shop as well. Wyatt Earp was appointed the company's shotgun messenger or guard, meaning that he was tasked with riding along on the stagecoaches carrying valuable shipments, heading for Tucson, and shooting at any would-be robbers. That was the Wells Fargo. Remember their like emblem was the stagecoach? Yeah. <laughs> stagecoaches were big. Yeah. People were always trying to rob them. So he's kind of like a, an oldie-time armored truck guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's his job right now in Tombstone. That same month, Virgil Earp was tasked with locating six mules that had been stolen from an army camp 75 miles away. The mules were believed to be in or near the Tombstone area, specifically at the McLaurie's ranch. Ooh. Virgil enlisted his brother Wyatt and his brother Marshall, who had just moved into town, as part of his crew to track down the mules. Mm. Also included was Wyatt's boss at Wells Fargo, Marshall Williams, a prominent and influential resident in the town. The lieutenant of the army camp also came along so he could identify these mules. Uh, That sounds kind of difficult because I think mules look alike. I guess unless they're branded or something. Yeah, one thing I read that these um, livestock stealers would do is they'd put their own brand on the top of the original brand. Ooh. Like covering up a tattoo. Yeah. That poor mule's like, hey, I was already branded this again. This fucking hurts. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, they found the mules at the McLaurie Ranch. The ranch was owned by brothers Frank and Tom McLaurie, who weren't there when the posse arrived, just their ranch hands. A deal was brokered between the army lieutenant and the ranch hand to give the mules back and no arrests would be made. They're like, we just want the mules. The McLaurys said that they would deliver the mules back to the camps themselves. Now, Virgil Earp reluctantly agreed to the terms, but he didn't like it. He was a real cop. 
And he was like, the law is the law. Yeah. You guys broke the law. I mean, it is pretty shitty of you to steal someone's livestock. (laughs) Yeah, it's not nice. What are you doing? It's not nice. He, Virgil Earp wanted these guys to be arrested for their crimes. The posse left the ranch sans mules with the with the expectation that they would soon be delivered back to the army camp. But they never were. And the Earp brothers were like, God damn it, we've, yeah. been, we've been had. Those sons of bitches. And they were like, I knew those McLaurys ranchers were bad news. Yeah. We should have arrested them. Put them in that one jail sale we yeah. have at <laughs> that's easy to break out of. Right. By this time, Wyatt Earp, had been appointed deputy sheriff of Pima County. His duties would have would have him focus on the town he resided in, Tombstone. And soon after, a town ordinance was placed to forbid carrying concealed weapons inside the saloons. Wanted posters were put up around town seeking the arrest of the McLaurys. Mm. A $25 reward was offered. The following week, Frank McLaurie responded to the wanted posters via letter to the local paper. He did a clapback. Oh, shit. He posted this in the tombstone paper, The Nugget. <laughs> in, in Frank's letter, which was printed on August 5th, he called the lieutenant a, quote, coward, a vagabond, a rascal, <gasps> and a malicious liar. Wow. He claimed that he knew nothing about his missing mules. He called the lieutenant unmanly and not a gentleman. The lowest thing you can say to someone in those days is call them a coward. Mm. That's like the biggest dunk. It's such a dunk. (laughs) He also dunked on him for enlisting this posse of men to find his mules instead of doing it himself. He's Mm. like, oh, you big tough army guy. You had to get a posse of guys to come down. You're just a pussy, not a posse. (laughs) (laughs) Frank continued that he was a well-known man in Arizona and that this slander would not be tolerated. He's like, I can't help it if someone on my ranch stole these mules. Wait, why did he get all up in like arms about it? Because didn't he agree to to like turn them over? He didn't like these. Well, they never turned them over. I know, but didn't he like, why wasn't he all mad initially? Do you know what I mean? That they never got turned over? No, that they, that the posse showed up to begin with. He wasn't there. Oh, when, he wasn't there. It was just the ranch hands. So the ranch hands made the deal. Yes. Got it. Yes. Then he accused the lieutenant of stealing the mules for himself and pinning it on them. Ooh. So this is a very um, fiery letter. Yeah, he's going off. He's going off. The assertions that Frank McLaurie was a mule thief sparked resentments between the brothers against the Earps. Ranchers in the area weren't fond of government and law enforcement to begin with, so this just added fuel to the fire. Yeah. It was like those fucking cops. These are the early libertarians. They are. No, (laughs) they really are. But mule and especially cattle theft wasn't uncommon in the Southwest among small ranchers like the McLaurie's and the Clanton's. Rustlers, as they were called, would steal cattle, often from Mexico, and graze them at local ranches, such as the McClory's Ranch. The stolen cattle would then be sold in town. The ranchers would would get a cut of the profit. The demand for beef was so high, and not many butchers or restaurants in town really gave a shit about where the cows came from. It's not my job to check. 
It's just that, that that's beef. Yeah. I'm taking it. Yeah. Even army men purchased stolen cattle. While the cattle rustlers and ranchers' motives were certainly money and also a sense of duty to stick it to the American government, stealing from Mexican ranchers was motivated by outright racism. The racism of the American government, in turn, meant that returning stolen property to these Mexican ranchers wasn't exactly high on their list of priorities. Right. So steal from the Mexicans, guys, not from the Americans. (laughs) That's literally what it was. They're like, we'll turn a blind eye if you steal from the Mexican ranchers. Yeah. Don't steal from the U.S. Army. Oh, my God. We We get really mad about that. The stolen Mexican cattle was also a boost to the American economy, unless, of course, the livestock was stolen from the U.S. Army or a local ranch. Yeah. So still from those guys, not from us. Yes. And the cattle rustlers were labeled cowboys. This is at this time what a cowboy was. Oh. At this time, a cowboy really just referred to any kind of outlaw in the American Southwest, and it was considered a derogatory term. (gasps) One such tombstone cowboy was Curly Bill Brocious. Did he have curly hair? <laughs> I don't know. There's a picture of him online. Brocious was a twice convicted armed robber who escaped prison in Texas. Another notable cowboy in our story was Johnny Ringo. Ooh. Ringo had a rough childhood, witnessing the gruesome accidental death of his father when a gun discharged into his face <gasps> as the family was making its way via wagon out west. Ringo descended into a life of alcoholism, crime, and jail time. While in Mason County, Texas, he shot a man while he was washing up his face in a wash basin on his front porch. Ringo had also escaped prison, but was recaptured. He was then granted a new trial, but the charges were dropped when no one wanted to testify against him. He was scary. Yeah. Following his release from jail in 1878, he returned to the very same county where he shot the guy and ran for constable. (gasps) He won. Wow. But his career as a lawman was short-lived, and soon he packed up and headed west. Now, like I said earlier, we're not going to get into the whole Earp family story, but they were, like I said, they're a family of cops. They were also a family of lawbreakers, too. They were all committing Look, you crimes. Can do, you can be a cop and a lawbreaker. We know this. <laughs> all I'm saying is it is a tale as old as time. Yes. And it is no exception with the Earp brothers. Yeah. Once in Arizona, Johnny Ringo became friendly with the rancher Ike Clanton of his ranch, and Ringo acted as cattle rustler for this ranch. So this was a very common relationship. These cowboys, they have these partnerships with the ranchers. The cowboys steal the cows. Bring them back. Bring them to the ranches where they get fed and grazed until they're fat enough to be sold. Mm. We're going to take a quick break here. We will be right back. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson 
I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. At this time, Wyatt Earp had ambitions of making his name as a lawman, thus allowing him to gain power and influence, securing the fame and fortune he had long sought. One avenue to achieve such status, he thought, would be to show the cowboys who's boss, to Mm. really lay down the law with them. While many feared the cowboys, Wyatt didn't. He was like, I can take them. Yeah. In September, 29-year-old gambler and former dentist Doc Holliday rolled into town. (laughs) Doc Holliday is my favorite. Me too. He's the coolest of all of these guys. He was friends with the Earps, and they had told him about how lit Tombstone was. They're like, you got to come through. Yeah. The the chicks are so hot here, man. (laughs) People, the shit is flowing. The shit is flowing. <laughs> People, there's so much beef. Yeah. We're eating so good here. Yeah. So he packed up and moved there. Tombstone was definitely the place to be for a guy like Doc, who really liked to drink and gamble. In fact, gambling was how he made his living. Arizona's warm, dry climate was also good for his tuberculosis. Yeah. This is in the era where people were moving west to cure their ailments. Yes. In fact, I go to Phoenix a lot and there's whole streets named after, there's one major street called Bethany Home and that was a tuberculosis sanitarium. Really? Yeah. They're just like, yeah, I mean, that was like where you moved. That's why my family, my great grandpa moved to LA when he was five because he was sick. Right. So people were moving around this time to the 
deserts. Yes. And that was like before LA would have been polluted. Yeah. It would have still been good for you. It was it was rural when when they moved there. So he's trying to he he but he's playing both sides. He's like, well, I'm still gonna drink and smoke and like, you know, gamble and shit. But it's the it's at least the good air, the arid climate's good for my tuberculosis. Yes. In October that same year, Doc got into it with a regular patron of the Oriental Saloon. This guy was Johnny Tyler, and he was a known nuisance in the town, and he liked to fight. Now, in the movie Tombstone, he's played by Billy Bob Thornton in a small role. So you know he likes to fight. He loves fighting, and this guy just, everyone in town knows this guy's really annoying. Damn. Like, he's the kind of guy who walks into the saloon and... People just kind of sigh. Like, he's going to start some shit. He's going to start some shit. Doc was no stranger to fighting himself. The saloon's owner, Milton Joyce, knew that this combination was a recipe for disaster. So he told Johnny Tyler and Doc Holliday to get the fuck out once they started squabbling with each other. But Tyler kept hassling Doc. And so Doc asked the owner, Milton Joyce, to have his gun back, which he had earlier checked in when he entered the saloon. He's like, give me my gun. And Joyce was like, no, I'm not giving you your gun. And both guys were thrown out of the bar. But Doc went and retrieved a different gun from his room in the boarding house that he was staying at. He later returned to the saloon where he exchanged some words with the owner, Milton Joyce. He was (gasps) mad he kicked him out. Yeah. Doc fired his gun through Joyce's hand. A saloon worker attempted to wrestle the gun from Doc, and Doc shot him in the toe. Mm. He's also drunk at this point. Well, because clearly he's not getting some good shots off. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's just hurting these guys. I mean, they're very painful, for sure. Joyce jumped onto onto Doc and pistol whipped him with his own gun, subduing him. The fight was broken up by the town marshal, Fred White. Doc was arrested and released on bail. The way things worked back then was that a claim of self-defense was seemingly very easily believed in regards to the law. I mean, it, it didn't take much to claim. Yeah, like you could literally kill someone because they were annoying mm-hmm. and get away with it. It's true. Although in Doc's case, even back then, it might have been harder to prove in this instance because he was clearly like just wilding out. Yeah. Luckily for him, the charges were reduced to assault and battery. It's believed that Wyatt Earp had something to do with this. Mm. See, it helps when you're friends with local law enforcement. <laughs> it does. Doc wound up being made to just pay a fine. Milton Joyce, however, remained resentful of Doc Holliday. So Doc Holliday ended up having to go drink at a different saloon. Yeah, luckily there's a bunch. There's a <laughs> lot in town. Wyatt Earp would soon acquire a 25% stake in gambling winnings at this saloon, which was the Oriental Saloon. Joyce offered the stake in exchange for Wyatt's help in keeping the peace at his business. Lawman and politician Johnny Behan arrived in Tombstone with his 10-year-old son in August of 1880. He was a horny divorcee. Ooh. He had aspirations of becoming county sheriff, and he took any opportunity to rub elbows with the elite. This guy was a real mover and shaker. Yeah, 
He took a job managing the bar at the Grand Hotel, which was one of Tombstone's luxury establishments. He also had a stake in a livery stable, and he joined the fire department as a volunteer. Hmm. He's like, I got to get in anywhere I can. I'm going to stick my little hands into everything. Yeah. But one piece of the puzzle was missing to elevate his status. A good woman. Mm. He's like, I need a a nice wife on my arm. Yeah. So I can move in the in political circles. She needs a nice bustle. A nice bustle. She needs to be hot. Yeah. But also not too crazy. Yeah. Keep her mouth shut. Keep her mouth shut. <laughs> he wanted a wife specifically, not a common law one either. Common law wives were for the working class. He's like, I need an oh. official wife. Mm. But he made an exception for one particular bad bitch. Her name was Josephine Marcus, a Jewish woman from San Francisco. Ooh. And he was like head over heels for this woman. Yeah. She was called the prettiest dame in Tombstone. Prior to moving to Tombstone, Josephine performed in a touring production of the HMS Pinafore, <laughs> our least favorite musical. <laughs> <laughs> but that I forgive her because that's like the only musical they had. Then. They didn't know any better. They didn't have Sondheim. No, they didn't. <laughs> in the 1880s. It's believed that she first met Johnny Behan while touring the Southwest. After falling ill and returning home to San Francisco, Johnny Behan relentlessly pursued her, writing love letters and then begging her to come to Tombstone to be his wife. She arrived in October of 1880. She made a splash when Ooh. she arrived into town. They're like, we we never seen a woman like that before. I picture her getting off the train and opening up her parasol mm. and like <laughs> walking down the steps. <laughs> <laughs> she certainly was the only Jew in town. I bet. But she was also personality-wise very feisty. She's from the big city. She's from the big city. She was very f- flirtatious and Ooh. horny. <gasps> Yeah, scandal. She was kind of scandalous. She was definitely a not like the other girls. Like, I don't know if that was her personal attitude, but she was... She was legitimately that, not self-described that. Yeah. She wanted to marry Behan, and he was really horny for her. But he was, like, eventually he started stalling. And she was like, what's going on? Really? Like, she gets there, they presumably fuck a lot and are in this, like, honeymoon phase. Mm -hmm. But soon, he's getting cold feet. And she's like, I came all the way down here from San Francisco where we actually have good restaurants. Yeah. And you don't want to marry me? Yeah. And... It's speculated that Josephine's Jewishness may have contributed to Johnny Behan getting cold feet because marrying a Jewish woman would not have been socially or politically advantageous. But he knew that going into it. But he was so horny. Uh, he was thinking with his dick. He's yeah. like, I just, I don't uh, care. I'll, f- fuck, I don't care. My dick isn't anti Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other problem, though, with Josephine was that she was an actress, which essentially mm. made her a hoe yeah. to all these people. Yeah, they thought she's questionable morals. She, they thought she had questionable morals. This is not the good Christian woman. Yes, that would sit. Uh, I don't know, making doilies. Whatever <laughs> <laughs> they do. making doilies for your little uh, sitting room, your parlor rooms. Right. That that was the kind of woman that he needed to climb the the ladder. 
No, she wasn't wife material. Mm-mm. Eventually, two years later, Josephine and Wyatt Earp would hook up and get nice. married. But that's another story, which is kind of why I wanted to, at some point down the line, do a Wyatt Earp slash Josephine story, because she's got a crazy story. Oh, nice. In the wee morning hours of October 28th, Curly Bill Brocious and some of his bros poured out onto the street after a night of partying at the saloons. <gasps> they were all pretty drunk. Mm. So drunk, apparently, that at least one of his cowboy friends began firing his gun at the sky. Jesus. That, that's what they did. They got so fired up, like, they just had to fire that gun. Dance. <laughs> <laughs> Curly Bill was like, dude, stop. You're causing a scene. Mm. Now, carrying the guns outside of the saloons, like outside was okay, but causing this kind of a ruckus wasn't okay. When the guys wouldn't stop firing their guns, Curly Bill and two other guys in their group hid behind a cabin, fearing that the cops were close by. And they were. Marshal Fred White rolled up and saw Curly Bill, and Fred was like, give me your gun, Curly Bill. And Curly Bill was like, it's not me. I'm not the one who was shooting. But they didn't believe him. And that's when Wyatt Earp and his brother Morgan arrived. Curly Bill was about to reach for his gun in his holster to give it to Fred White. But Fred White became frustrated and grabbed it himself, barrel Mm. first. Like, he's grabbing this guy's gun in his holster. It's kind of of homoerotic. I was going to say... At that moment, Wyatt came from behind Curly Bill and grabbed him. This is dangerous. Yeah. And he was like, now you, this is what he said. Now you goddamn son of a bitch, give me that pistol. Fred White, meanwhile, is still face to face with Curly Bill holding on to his gun. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I can't stop picturing this as like a come on. (laughs) Well, Wyatt Earp's behind him, hugging him, like, give me your gun. Fred White tried to yank the gun out of the holster and it went off, shooting himself in the dick. No. He shot himself in the dick. And then he caught on fire because (laughs) 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 he was so mad about shooting himself in the dick. He spontaneously combusted it. I guess I look, those guns back then were real questionable. Right, the gunfire powder probably sparked and lit his corduroys on fire, right? Like, his whole crotch is on fire at this point. And ouch. he's on the ground going, ooh-wee, ooh-wee, sue-wee. <laughs> My dick's on fire. Put, get a bucket of that slop and throw on it. <laughs> it was a whole mess. Ugh. Wyatt smacked Curly Bill upside the head with his gun, knocking him on his ass. Meanwhile, Morgan Earp and another guy who was along with them are beating the shit out of Fred White trying to put the flames out. So they're (laughs) beating this guy's dick Mm -hmm. while it's on fire and shot on the ground. Imagine getting your dick shot back then. Mm. Your dick's gone. It's gone. Yeah. No one's fixing that. There's no John Wayne bobbiting that dick. No. You can't fix it. The technology just isn't there. I'm so sorry. Curly Bill and his boys were arrested, and Fred White was taken to the hospital, where he died a few days later. Oh. Yeah. Much of the town was pissed off and devastated because people loved Fred White. Dude, he could have just been a carpenter. (laughs) He could have just had a nice, quiet life as a carpenter. 
It could have been so easy. Yeah. Curly Bill was in a tough spot. He tried desperately to explain that he had nothing to do with this, and he really didn't. Like, he was right. fucked over by this e- incredible example of police incompetence. Yeah. Like, their sloppy work is the reason why this guy got shot. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter, because to everybody, he was a cowboy who shot and killed this guy that everyone loved. To local tombs- the local tombstone paper, the epitaph, also piled on. The paper was no stranger to demonizing entire groups of people in the area. They had been notoriously awful to the local Chinese population. Oh. At this time, the cowboys were the big bad that they were constantly reporting on, like, um, to get everybody all riled up. In the article following the shooting, the cops were praised for their skills in attempting to arrest Curly Bill and his vicious gang of cowboys. In the meantime, Virgil Earp was assigned to fill in for Fred White as the marshal until the election on November 12th. Most of the guys in Curly Bill's group that night were issued fines, but Curly Bill was taken to Tucson for trial. There was just too much bias against him in Tombstone. The election for Tombstone Sheriff loomed. The incumbent sheriff, Charles Shibble, a Democrat who was favored among the cowboys, as he looked the other way when it came to cattle wrestling. His opponent, Bob Paul, was a Republican and a real by-the-book lawman. So these cowboys want this guy who turns a blind eye to the cattle wrestling, who's not going to bother the cowboys too much. They don't want this real stickler for the law. Cowboy Johnny Ringo and his friend and partner, the rancher Ike Clanton, were both at one point election officials who oversaw the polling places at their local precinct, which was Precinct 27. The cowboys and ranchers had considerable influence in this area, and they wanted Charles Shibble to remain county sheriff. Precinct 27's votes would tip the scales in favor of the incumbent sheriff that election. While the results for the election came in, opponent Bob Paul was like, no, no, only 50 of those who voted in Precinct 27 were even eligible to vote. This election is fraudulent. So he filed a civil suit and an investigation was launched. Wyatt next did something risky, but it had the potential to yield a high reward. Up until this point, he had been Shibble's deputy sheriff, but he favored this guy, Paul. He wanted him to win sheriff. Oh, So he resigned to work with Paul instead to help him figure out this election. And then they all stormed the saloon. (laughs) (laughs) Testing the election. And on January 6th, 1881, they stormed the saloon. A guy with the animal pelts. (laughs) Shit on the leader's desk. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) this was risky because he knew he was leaving his job and sort of betraying this incumbent sheriff to help this guy. He really wants to be sheriff work to overturn the election, but he was determined to make sure his guy, Bob Paul won. He had a plan. He went to Tucson, which is where Curly Bill Brocious was in jail awaiting trial. And he talked to him. Curly Bill's Freedom hinged on the testimony of Wyatt Earp. So he knew he had leverage with Ooh. Curly Bill and, the, and thus the Cowboys. Wyatt told him, look, 
I'll tell everyone that this shooting of Fred White was an accident if you and your cowboys admit that you guys stuffed the ballot boxes for Shibble. Curly Bill was really pissed off that he was being blackmailed by this supposed law and order guy. Yeah. But he agreed. At the trial, Wyatt testified to Curly Bill's gun going off accidentally when Fred White yanked at it. Curly Bill was found not guilty and released. The next day, one of Curly Bill's boys testified that he was responsible for certifying the election in Precinct 27. He said that he was under the direction of cowboy Johnny Ringo and the rancher Ike Clanton. Now, because of this, Wyatt Earp would have enemies out of these two men as well. Yeah. Johnny Ringo and Ike Clanton. On top of that, Wyatt Earp and newly appointed deputy sheriff Johnny Behan were clashing over some horse theft situation Mm. that goes into detail in the book, but we don't have time for today. Next was a critical election for Tombstone Mayor in January of 1881. This election would determine ownership of lots and properties in the town. So a lot of people were really stressed out. The Republicans' pick was John Clum, who was the publisher of the Epitaph, the local newspaper, as well as a former postmaster. He won the election in a landslide. Clum had a lot to deal with, not only ongoing issues of property disputes caused by the former mayor, but also the cowboys who despised him for the stuff that he printed about them in the newspaper. Yes. Shortly after the election, Curly Bill and his bros were out causing a ruckus in neighboring towns, including robbery and shooting at someone. A group of armed cowboys scared away the local law enforcement who tried to arrest Curly Bill, and he absconded to another nearby town for the next two days. Tension in the region grew when a shooting occurred in nearby Charleston. A guy named Michael O'Rourke, also known as Johnny Behind the Deuce, was shot and killed by a po- was shot and killed a popular engineer named Henry Schneider. O'Rourke claimed that it was self-defense, but many others disagreed. An angry crowd gathered at the site of the shooting, and O'Rourke was whisked away by a constable to Tombstone. The angry mom f- mob followed them to Tombstone on their horses. Ooh. They're like, "Get him!" <laughs> they had torches. They had torches <laughs> on their horses. They're like, "Get!" He shot Henry Schneider. <laughs> Our local engineer. O'Rourke was led into a bowling alley and kept safe under the guard of officers, including Virgil Earp. The angry mob wanted to to get this guy and kill him. They're like, we don't want him to go to jail. We just want to kill him. He did end up making it safely to the jail in Tucson, where he would later escape and never be caught. So that's good for him. But... After this whole incident in the town, Wyatt would later claim, as he often did, that he was instrumental in protecting this right. inmate and and getting the stand, getting the armed mob to back down. He's that, like, I did that. That was like a real problem back in those days. If you were put in jail, the angry mob would want to kill you. Yeah, <laughs> it happens a lot. It happens <laughs> a lot in these stories. Also, a problem is, you know. Unless there's like really good records kept, you got people like Wyatt Earp claiming that they were solely responsible. Yes, he's like already building his myth. Mm, he was. 
Um, he was never even mentioned in the papers the next day of being yeah part of this. Like maybe he was there helping his brothers, but right. he wasn't like the sole person. Right. They really credit it to this other guy as well as Vir- Virgil. Now, a lot of people in Tombstone following this believe that O'Rourke should have been killed instead of taken to jail. Vigilante justice was like hot right now. Yeah. It was really on the minds of many of Tombstone's citizens. A local attorney named George Parsons was among a group of Tombstone's town leaders that formed their own vigilante uh, committee. The aim of this committee was to ensure that law enforcement meet their demands in regards to the law. Otherwise, they would gather the town citizens to enact their own justice. So they wanted the cops to to enforce the law that the way they saw fit. Right. Otherwise, we get our torches on our and our horses and go beat them to death. And our pots and pans and bang in the street <laughs> and kill them. The following month, a new county was formed within the eastern side of Pima County. It was named Cochise County with Tombstone at its county seat. The Tombstone was now offered a courthouse and more political power because of this. And a new sheriff would be selected too. And it was between Johnny Behan and Wyatt Earp. Johnny Behan, the one who wouldn't marry Josephine? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is so, his name last name Behan or is it Johnny Behan? No, <laughs> no it's B B E H A N. Okay. Johnny Behan. <laughs> Johnny Behan. <laughs> Johnny Behan. <laughs> That's where we'll leave off this week. Okay. We will next week we are going to cover the rising tensions in Tombstone between the Earps and the Cowboys and the shooting at the OK Corral. Ooh. Which is like a very famous corral shooting. I would say the most famous <laughs> corral shooting. <laughs> it's the premier corral-centric shooting. It's probably the only one I know. <laughs> it actually didn't even take place inside the corral. Damn. It was in like a parking lot. Well, whoever marketed the term <laughs> knew what they were doing. <laughs> they really nailed yeah, it with yeah, that marketing. Absolutely. So we will get into more of that. We have some great pictures to post. Are they sepia <laughs> They're totally sepia. <laughs> Everyone kind of looks the same. Um, we'll post Great. those. We'll post those pictures on our Instagram. When do we get into the pizza? That's at the mini episode. Oh, it's going to be a special. <laughs> yeah, that special mini episode. We're doing a special mini episode this week about the history of Tombstone Pizza. Nice. So look forward. Does to that, that still exist? Tombstone we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that. Okay. We'll get into that in the mini. No spoilers. No spo- <laughs> I'm not spoiling our listeners. Anyway, thank you Bye. very much. That's it. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.